0: Thank you, Mike. As we continue our journey uh, through Genesis, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles, your iPhones, your Androids, whatever you use, to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. However, before I read God's Word and preach God's Word, let's call upon His Spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have inspired men to put pen to paper so that we might have your written Word today. We pray, O Lord, that as we read your word this morning, that you might speak to us, that we might hear from you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, listen to God's word. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. And bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I want to pause here just for a moment. I don't want to fast forward through that verse. I want to make sure we take a little bit of time just to settle there for a second. You know, it's interesting, as we read Genesis chapter 3, we saw that that original sin of Adam and Eve did have an incredible ripple effect. Adam and Eve, in their pride, thought that they knew better than God did what was right for them. Adam and Eve, in their pride, decided that they were going to disobey God and and break the one commandment that they had been given. And so uh, God, in His justice and in His mercy, casts them out of the garden, but He doesn't destroy them completely. No, He does remind Adam that He is dust, and to dust He shall return. But we can see in our text this morning that God, in His mercy and grace, allows them still to give new life, to give birth to a child. In fact, we know from all of Scripture that children are a huge blessing from God. We see this from Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5, a psalm that King Solomon wrote. We read, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Uh, this summer I had an opportunity to spend some time at the pool. I saw Greg and Julie Mitchell there, and they've got 10 grandkids, and all of them were at the pool. They were kind of filling the kiddie side of the pool. It was great. And I just told Greg, Greg, your quiver is filled with children. Blessings from God. Children are a huge blessing. I know when we're changing their diapers, we may not smell it, we may not feel it, but they are a blessing. We're so grateful for our children and the grandchildren of our church, grateful that they're back here, grateful that you're back here on our campus as well. And Eve recognizes this, that even though she has sinned along with her husband Adam, God continues to bless them, and now she's been blessed to have a child, and so she gratefully says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Every child is a gift from God. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruits of the ground. And Abel... Also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. I want to pause there just for a moment. What's, what's going on there? Why is it that God has regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering of fruit, God has no regard. Does God not like fruit? Is he simply a meat eater? Is that what's going on here? No, we know that's not the truth because we know from Leviticus chapter 2 that God actually encourages people to give the well to give the fruits of their harvest. But in Leviticus chapter 2 we're told that they should give the first fruits of their harvest, not simply what's left over. Notice that Abel's gift to God is from the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions is what he gives to God. The fat portions were the were the most flavorful portions. They were the most desirable portions because they tasted good. It may not be good for your arteries, but it tastes good, right? And so they gave the fat portions, they gave the firstborn, and that was a shown of a great sacrifice. Abel made a sacrifice. He gave his best to God. Cain simply gave what was left over. Do we give our best to God? Or do we often tend to give God what's left over? What we can afford at the end of the year. It's interesting to me uh, here in the United States, which we do live in a consumerist culture where we're often told by advertisers that if we simply drive this car or we drink this beverage or we wear these clothes or if we do these things, then we'll finally be happy and we'll find contentment and we'll find joy in the stuff we own. But that we know is not true. But we're constantly being told to, to purchase and to buy and to, to own and to, to have these things. And so every church in America, their best giving month is always December, the end of the year. Because people simply tend to give what's left over. Yes, God had favor and regard for Abel because he gave his firstborn, not what was left over. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. I want to pause there just for a moment. The Hebrew word for crouching is the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 49 to describe how Judah is like a lion crouching. A lion is crouching because it's ready to pounce. And God is warning Cain that because of his... Was well, disobedience because of his lack of faith, because he didn't give a, a really good offering, and now he's angry about it, that, that sin is crouching, ready to, to pounce on Cain, but he's got to rule over sin. How is Cain to rule over sin? How are we to rule over sin today? So that it doesn't have mastery over us, but rather we're able to, to avoid it and to rule over it. Well, I believe today, and for Cain too, we rule over sin by doing what is right. We rule over sin by doing what is right. You know, I can focus real hard on not sinning and not doing certain things, but if I focus on not doing things, I'm inevitably probably gonna succumb to that temptation. But if I'll focus on doing what's right and doing what God calls me to do and focusing on where the Lord has called me to serve and and seeking to do the will of the God here here on earth as it is in heaven, then sin is in the the rear view mirror. It's not something that is on the forefront of my mind because I'm focused on doing what is right and, and what is good. Yes, we we rule over sin by doing what is right, specifically by building habits that lead us to do what is right. Did you know that we live most of our life, most of our decisions, about 40 to 45% of the decisions we make every day, according to neurologists, are done out of habit. I do this every morning. When I get in my car to drive to work, I have made it a habit to take certain roads because I believe it's the most efficient way to get to work, right? Now, the first time I did this, I had to use the prefrontal cortex of my brain, which is the front of my brain, and that's where we do most of our deepest thinking and concentration. And the first time I took this route, I had to really think about it. Is this the fastest route? Will there be the fewest number of police officers to catch me if I'm speeding? You know, True confessions, right? I confess every day. But no, I'm I'm trying to get to work on time. I don't want to be late, and so I'm thinking about the first time. But now it's simply habit. We live most of our life out of habit. We do something time and time and time and time again. And those neurologists tell us that our brain develops neuropathways where instinctively we just begin to act out of habit. Every morning I wake up, I go into the kitchen. The first place I go is to the coffee maker because I know it's gonna take some time to brew some coffee. I know without coffee, I, without caffeine specifically, I'm kind of useless, right? It's a habit, it's easy. I learned as a little boy after breakfast, you're supposed to brush your teeth because nobody wants to smell your coffee breath, right? I mean, we live our life out of habits. So what kind of habits are we cultivating? Are we cultivating the kinds of habits that lead us to do the right thing? What is the right thing that Cain should do in this moment? He's seen that his younger brother has kind of shown him up, given a, a better offering, a more sacrificial offering that God regarded. And in jealousy now, he's, he's feeling like, oh, I, I don't like my brother. But what would have been the right thing for Cain to do in this situation? The right thing for Cain to do would be to, to congratulate his younger brother, to say well done, to encourage him in his, in his good deeds. In fact, encouraging others is a good habit for all of us to develop. When we see someone else do something good, we need to encourage them specifically within the the family of faith. We should make this a a normal practice. I remember that when my uh, sister, uh, Laura, who was uh, four years older than me, she was a senior in high school, and she was in the UIL one-act play contest. My father was the drama director, and she was in a lot of plays in, in high school, worked very hard to be a very good actress, and she won best actress for UIL State that year. That was really exciting. I was really proud of her. And and I remember that when she would go to my uh, football games or basketball games in middle school, you know, if I scored a touchdown or if I I made a basket, she would always cheer real loudly because we wanted to be the kind of family that was encouraging to one another, that we weren't competing with one another. We were loving each other, encouraging one another. When we had success, we wanted to share in that success and share in that joy. And we as the body of Christ, the family of faith, we should be the same. We see a young person in our church do something well. We want to celebrate that. We say, well done. We see a fellow member uh, teach a good lesson in Sunday school. We say, thank you. That was great. That really blessed me. We want to build the kind of habits among us where we encourage one another, where where we naturally put the needs of others before our owners. We seek to serve each other. After all, isn't that what Jesus did? He put the needs of everyone above his own. And he gave his life on a cross. Mark 10, verse 45 tells us that, For the Son of Man came not to be served, Jesus says, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As followers of Christ, we should know what it means to put the needs of others, to celebrate the success of others together. In fact, on this opening weekend of the NFL, I'm uh, reminded of a book that Gail Sayers, uh, running back for the Chicago Bears, Hall of Fame running back, wrote. It's called, I Am Third. It's a great little autobiography about his own life. And, and, the, and if you've seen the movie Brian's Song, uh, that involves Gale Sayers and Brian Piccolo. And when Br- Gale Sayers had a knee injury, his buddy Brian Piccolo encouraged him uh, to, get, uh, do, to do the rehab, to strengthen his knee so he could get back on the field. And, and then when Brian Piccolo came down with an illness, you know, Gale was there trying to encourage uh, Brian Piccolo, even though the disease proved to be terminal for Brian. And he wrote this great book after all of it, and he said, I am third. In the book, he says, I've learned that in this life, the Lord is first, my friends are second, and I am third. What a great model to live by. The Lord is first, we are second. Yeah, I'm sorry, the Lord is first, our friends are second, and we are third. The Lord is first, our friends are second, and we are third. Unfortunately, if you look at the life of Cain, that's not the kind of person he was. He was a me first kind of person. Cain was focused on the fact that God did not have high regard for what he gave to him. He looked at his brother and saw that his brother was succeeding and rather than celebrating his brother's success, he becomes jealous of his brother's success. And this coveting leads to all kinds of evil thoughts. So what does Cain do? Does he conquer sin? Does he rule over it? Or does he allow it to rule over him? Let's keep reading. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, and Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What you have done, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to look again at verse 9 of our text After Cain kills Abel, the Lord comes to Cain and says, Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Cain responds, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now in Cain's mind, this is kind of a rhetorical, sarcastic question for him to ask. After all, Abel is an adult man at this point. In fact, uh, Eugene Peterson in the message translates this text kind of colorfully. He says, am I my brother's babysitter? Uh, Abel's his own man. I'm not his keeper, am I? What Cain doesn't realize is that he is his brother's keeper. We are all our brother's keeper. You see, what Cain doesn't realize is that as the older brother, as the elder brother, he should have been looking after his younger brother. He should have been mentoring his younger brother. He should have been loving his brother, recognizing that one day Cain would be the head of the family. It would be his job to maintain the heritage of his family. But instead of mentoring his younger brother, he sees his mother, younger brother succeed, and he decides he's going to destroy him. He's going to, to kill him. His Cain has lost sight of, of who God is and what God wants from us exactly. It's interesting, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, Jesus is questioned by uh, several Pharisees about what is the greatest commandment. What is it that God wants from us today? You know, there's 613 commandments in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And it's hard to remember 613 commandments. Jesus, can you narrow it down for us just a little bit, right? Well, Jesus responds to the question about what's the most important commandment by first quoting the Shema, Deuteron- or Matthew 22. He, he, we read this in 37 to 40. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema this is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If we can just do this, if we can simply love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, then we will love our neighbor as ourselves. We can see that this perfectly lines up with the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments of the Ten Commandments are all about how Our relationship with God are we going to worship idols are we going to honor the Sabbath are we going to use the Lord's name in vain are we going to worship anything other than God if if but if we're loving God we will naturally abide by those four commandments if we love God we will honor the Sabbath we won't use the Lord's name in vain we won't worship idols we won't worship anything other than the one true God and of course the remaining six commandments that if we're loving our neighbors ourselves then we won't murder and we won't kill uh, murder steal We won't commit adultery, we won't covet what our neighbor has, we won't bear false witness against our neighbor. No, these two commandments, love God, love neighbor, they summarize the whole thing, very simple. And the second commandment is actually a quote from Leviticus chapter 19, where we read from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17 to 18, it reads, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Unfortunately, Cain had hate for his brother Abel. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now I know that Leviticus is written after Genesis, but notice in the story of Cain and Abel, Cain instinctively knows that it was wrong to murder his brother Abel. That's why he lies. When God asks him directly, where is your brother Abel? He goes, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He knows exactly where Abel is. Abel's now dead. As we continue to read the New Testament, we'll see that we're encouraged not to be at all like Abel. We don't want to have hate in our heart. We want to have love in our heart for our neighbors, for those that we love so dearly. For we read in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 to 16. And you know that no murders has eternal life abiding him in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. How do we have that kind of impulse that we might lay down our lives for our brothers where well, we will naturally love our brothers as ourselves? By remembering how Jesus first loved us. This is love, as John will go on to write in John, 1 John 4. This is love, not that we love God, but that God first loved us and sent his son here to this earth to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins with his death on a cross. If we ever find ourselves becoming angry or hateful towards a, a friend or a coworker or a brother or a neighbor, let's remember what Jesus did for us. And how he took on the hate and the sin and the anger of the world, and he took it on himself. And and even though he was without sin, he became sin for us. For as you read in Deuteronomy, cursed is he who is hung on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us by dying as the perfect sacrifice on a cross for our sins. Not his sins, but our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf, so that we might have the gift of of eternal life and the gift of a new life, as as we seek to be a conduit of his love is we, among all people, should know how to love our neighbor well because we have a a model of of, of unconditional, sacrificial love in Jesus Christ. And as we have received God's love, we're called to share that love, not simply consume it. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, 34-35, after he's washed his disciples' feet on the night that he's betrayed in the upper room, he says, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. By this all will know you're my disciples if you love one another. We were called to love one another as Jesus loved us, unconditionally, sacrificially. So how can we do that well? How can we make sure that we're the kind of people who love our neighbor well, who, who develop that habit of encouraging our neighbor and serving our neighbor? What are some practical ways that we can do that here in, in Amarillo today? Well, I've asked Kim Zimmer, uh, Kim, Zimmer, sorry, Kim Zimmer of Sparrow Legacies Ministry to share with us how her ministry is helping love our neighbor here in Amarillo and how we might join her in that, Kim?
1: Good morning. Um, Okay, so while I was praying about, what do I say about Cain and Sparrow Legacies and um, loving your neighbor, God randomly put the reminder that I have a bag of seeds that my mother gave me that I stashed in my drawer. There's the seeds. Aren't they doing very, very well in exactly what my mother intended them to do? Okay, so maybe not, but that made me think that's kind of what Cain did. He didn't love God and like he should. He didn't love his brother, obviously, very well at all. And so I don't want to be like Cain. I want to love God well. I want to love my neighbor well. In fact, that's what Sparrow Legacies is about, is loving our neighbor. Sparrow is the Greek word from a went out to sow some seed. Um, and so... In another effort not to be Cain-like, instead of saying what Sparrow Legacies does, I want to brag on our church members who love their neighbor well, who take the seed that God has given them and plant it um, into the lives of our friends in San Jacinto. Now, I'm not mentioning any names because I haven't asked permission to tell these stories, so they're all anonymous, but I have a friend in San Jacinto, I've known her forever. She wants to own a little grocery store. She's working on getting her business degree, but she doesn't have the life experience, the business contacts, the financial practice to actually do this. So a wonderful couple in our church has come alongside her to help her use their connections, help advise her on the best way, let, them, let her borrow their realtor to find this. Not really hard things, But they are investing in her life so her dream can grow. And another church member has nothing really to do with spiritual Legacies, but he has a business in San Jacinto, and he develops relationships with the kids in the neighborhood and says, hey, if you make A's, I'll pay you $5. Well, most of the kids that show up bring him C's on the report card, which, okay, is not exactly the goal, but you know what that tells me those kids know he loves them and he's invested in them and they feel their value just in him encouraging them he also has a young girl that came by she's just graduated from high school she's working on getting to college and she she came up to him and said thank you i have been able to do this because of of what you've done and he said what if I done she said you cared about my brother and I and you believed in us that is not a big deal but it has changed her life so I have tons of opportunities I mean I have neighbors that I know that need love I have fields that I know could use the seed that God has given you but I'm just gonna name one Uh, so on the 19th of September One of my good friends that's a parent at San Jacinto is in charge of the San Jacinto Community Neighborhood Cleanup. It would show such love and plant such seeds if we as First Pres members would show up and just pick up trash. It's not a hard thing. Okay, yeah, it may be dirty and yucky, but it's something we can all do. So, in closing, I want to encourage you to go and sow and love your neighbor and don't hide your seeds in your drawer. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Kim, for your ministry with Sparrow Legacies and the opportunity that we have to partner with Kim. And, uh, again, if you'd like to know how you might serve the San Jacinto neighborhood or our neighbors here uh, in need, I... Please follow up with Kim, and i love for you to join us uh, Saturday morning at uh, San Jacinto Elementary. We'll be helping clean up together, uh, letting the community of, of San Jacinto know that we do love them. Uh, we love them because God loves them. And I would be remiss if I didn't complete the story here on the story of Cain. Even though Cain was a murderer, even though Cain did not have any regard for his brother, he showed no compassion. He only showed anger and hate and murdered his own brother, Abel. God proves once again to be a God of mercy, a God of grace. Because notice in our story that God doesn't kill Cain. He actually puts a mark on Cain that will prevent others from killing Cain so that Cain might live out his life. Even though Cain was not merciful to Abel, God proves to be merciful to Cain. We serve a very merciful, loving, and gracious God. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount that I'm teaching on Wednesday nights in 304, and if you want to come to that class, love to have you with David Mullen together. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at the Beatitudes this last Wednesday night, and Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. May we seek to be an instrument of God's mercy and grace by loving others as God has loved us, by putting the needs of others before our own, by taking that pledge to be third, God first, our friends and family second, and us third, so that we might point others to the unconditional, sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your great love that you have demonstrated to all of us that while we are sinners, you sent your son Jesus here to this earth to to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, to live in perfect obedience to your law, to complete and fulfill all 613 commandments in his obedience and ultimately in his sacrifice as the perfect sacrifice on a cross so that our sins might be atoned for, that we might be given new life. Where we cannot live for ourselves, but now in this new life we can live for you and live to be an instrument of your grace by loving others. The two most important commandments, love God, love our neighbor. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us to do that well. Help us to develop the spiritual habits of encouraging our neighbors whenever we can with words of encouragement and to find ways that we might serve others to the glory of your name. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son who is the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.